Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey, good morning. Welcome to New Branch. We're glad you're here today. Had y'all enjoy the extra hour of sleep? Everybody got that? Need more sleep? Doesn't matter. <laughs> One hour's not enough, I guess. Or Everybody get a good sugar high from last night? No? Okay. Okay. Fine. <laughs> so anyway, but we would like to take a moment to welcome you guys, and we also want to welcome those joining us online and by phone. We have a lot of people outside these walls that join us uh, through different areas. Uh, one is video, and so we welcome those on our live video stream or those joining us later. And uh, we also have TalkShoe, which a lot of people didn't realize that you can actually dial in on your phone and listen to the service. And we have some truck drivers doing that. And so if you're out there listening, please let us know you're listening. Or if you know a truck driver, go to our website and there's a number they can dial in on. And uh, it's a great opportunity to meet a community that is constantly traveling. So we're glad you guys can be part of the service. We are in a brand new series uh, about one of, I believe, the most exciting books in the Bible. Not that all of them aren't exciting, but this is probably one of the most exciting books. It's one of the most controversial books. It is a book that is dividing up the church on all kinds of issues. It's scaring the daylights out of some people. And uh, can anybody guess what the book is? There you go. <laughs> or the apocalypse. That's what I'd like to call it. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. And so, so it's like, man, this is just an incredible book. And we, we started it last Sunday. If you missed any of that, you can go back on our YouTube site, newbranch.tv, and you can watch last week's message. And I'd recommend that you do because we really kind of laid out, here's what we're talking about, and we covered one of the first churches there. But in order to understand about the churches, if you were here last week, who, who wrote the book of Revelation? Now, Jesus dictated it, and it was through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but you get a flavor from the author, and I think that's important. Does anybody know who wrote it? John. Okay, y'all pay attention. And I like John. I wanted you to say that just because I love the Apostle John, because John's my name, and it's just awesome. So anyway, uh, and so anyway, so John wrote the book of John, and just a little, we're just going to brief you just a little bit about who he was, because it kind of adds some context to the, to the person that Jesus used. And so you kind of get a flavor from the author, even though it's directly from God. And so John was one of the youngest apostles. Um, He was called as basically a young adult. He's probably a teenager to young adult. When Jesus called him to be an apostle, when Jesus was coming and calling his disciples, he picked John. And so John came and followed him, and he was the Lord's beloved one, and, and he was there with Jesus, and he, and he learned all that Jesus was teaching, and he was there for the miracles, got to do some miracles himself, um, absolutely incredible journey for three and a half years. And then when Jesus, he was there when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, and he was one of the only, he was, he was the only apostle that was actually there watching Jesus die on the cross. And then he, he saw Jesus buried, he saw Jesus rose from the dead, and then after Jesus rose from the dead, he, he, Jesus spent some more time with the apostles and he ascended back into heaven. John was there. He was there on the day of Pentecost when the power of the Holy Spirit entered and the church leapt onto the scene. And John became, an, he was an apostle, but he also was a church father. And he had helped start many churches in his lifetime. And by the end of John's life, he was in, probably in his 80s or 90s, it became not that it was ever popular but it was very unpopular to be a Christian by the end of his life. Uh, the Roman Empire had decided Christianity is spreading too fast, um, and not only that, but they had a, it had a really tough emperor named Domitian who had decided he was going to stamp out Christianity because the reason was is because he believed himself to be Lord God and Savior of Rome and, and the world. And so he's like, if you worship him, you can't worship me. So he was killing Christians. And so John watched all of his, he watched a lot of his friends die. He watched the church become very persecuted. And, and he watched all of the apostles be martyred except for him. And a lot of people think John may have got out unscathed. This is just a little bit of church history. Um, but he didn't. He was boiled in a vat of oil. Um, that's probably horrible. Um, but just to give you how graphic violence that was going on, he was boiled in a vat of oil and then he was exiled, meaning that he had to go live by himself on an island to live out the remainder of his life on the Isle of Patmos. And there on the Isle of Patmos, he woke up on a Sunday morning, just like kind of, kind of you guys coming to church today, and he woke up going, ah, man, I wish I could go to church today. And, and, um, but he couldn't be with anybody. He was there by himself. And so I believe he got up and he was worshiping God and he was kind of doing church by himself, which doesn't really work very well, you know. 
And so he's praising God and worshiping. And then who shows up but Jesus? Jesus shows up on the island of Patmos and he says, Hey, John, I'll do church with you today. Can you imagine if Jesus came here today? What would he think, right? And I'd be like, Oh, here you go, Jesus. You go ahead. <laughs> you know, you take it from here, right? Uh, you know, or, or he would say, I know who was late today. I know, I know who was late. You know, plague, right? I mean, just, I'm just playing. He wouldn't do that to you. But imagine if Jesus came and did church with you, and he said to John, he goes, I know you can't be with the rest of the churches. I know you've had a tough time, but you know what? I am going to show you the best possible thing. And instead of just having the small video screens like us, it's like IMAX in all 3D, and he goes, you know what the movie's going to be today, John? The apocalypse. The end of all things. It is going to, how many people like scary movies? This would be it, guys. It would scare the daylights out of you, right? I'm going to show you what happens. And if you look at it, I mean, it's, it's scarier than The Walking Dead. You get the idea? It's scarier than Lord of the Rings or any, any of the horror movies you've watched. The things, the images you're about to see, I'm going to blow your mind, John, of what you're going to see. That's how Jesus does church. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And he shows him all these visions. You don't believe that. Read the book of Revelation. You're going to see all these visions that John had to do the best. And he's like, now do the best you can. This is kind of funny, really. Do the best you can to describe all that stuff, John. And he tries, you know. And then he says, at the end, he says, hey, you know, I want you, to, I want you to dictate seven letters for me to the churches. Now, when we say the churches, he's writing them to individual churches, but understand he meant to the church, because there's only one church of Jesus Christ. And he's saying these are the letters to the church. This is the letter to the church, and this conveys, but it'll have the flavor of the churches that you're writing to. And so you kind of have to understand the churches. Last week we started with Ephesus, and we said, hey, they were all head, no heart. You can go back and, and listen to that. And today we're going to talk about another church, and so you kind of have to understand. And it's as if Jesus is writing directly to us. So if you're here today and you're going, hey, you know what? I don't know about all that end time stuff. That's okay. This is practical. If you do believe in the end time stuff, and you're like, man, I'm all into that, and I've read all the books, and I know about all the blood moons and all this kind of stuff then you're, you'll love this because you know what it is? It's Jesus writing a practical letter to the churches at the end of time, okay? And that's us. And so it's very practical to us as if he's writing to us. You know why? Because he is. And so this is a letter directly to us. So, um, so let's get into it. We're, we're going to talk about this church today. Revelation chapter 2, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles or your Bible apps or your outlines, or you can just look at it up here on the screen. We've got lots of versions of the Bible here. Okay, so Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write. Now, I didn't get very far. I, I paused here just to, to explain this. We started talking last week about the angel and we said, hey, that each church had an angel that was given to them. Now, you may not know what an angel is. That's okay if you don't, you know, whatever you think. But what it means is, is that God sends a messenger to the church that represents them. Now, he's writing it to the angel. The angel doesn't need instruction. He's been there with God since before the creation of mankind. Um, he's writing it, and I believe he's mentioning the angel here. This is just my opinion. He's mentioning the angel because what he's saying is, you have a spiritual covering from God. You have a messenger directly for you guys. This is so important to the, to the church at Smyrna. So I want to talk about the angel first um, and talk about New Branch. Do you all believe that we have an angel for New Branch? I, I do. And, and, I, and, I, and this past week, I was talking about it last week, and I said, what would the angel, and I kind of just thought of that on the stage, I didn't plan it, and I was kind of like, what would our angel look like? You know what I mean? And we started talking about he might be redneck or hillbilly or I don't know, but we just kind of thought that. And so I finally found the vision of the angel that we would have, and there he is, okay? That's our angel, <laughs> right? I mean, that's what I think our angel looks like. But anyway, and he's thinking about somebody here. He's going, you did it again. Okay, you got the idea. Let me get that off the screen. Those of you that laughed, you'll probably have to spend some time in purgatory for that. Not sure what's going to happen to me. <laughs> but anyway, okay, you got the idea. <laughs> but the angel is there, and, and this brings great, great emphasis to say, hey, no matter how dark, because the city of Smyrna, we're going to tell you a little bit about it, and you're going to understand why it's so important they had an angel. It's a very dark place in the world, but no matter how dark it is, God has assigned to you an angel that watches over you. And I believe the angel probably sticks. That, that angel is still in the church of Smyrna today. I believe that. Just like we probably have one with us, and he probably is something like, I sent that one. Man, these people are really nuts. Okay. The city of Smyrna. Let me explain to you what, what, it's, what it's like. Um, today, it is modern-day Izmir. How many who's been to Izmir? Somebody in first service actually raised their hand. That was kind of cool. And, and, okay. 
And uh, the person first service, they had actually been there when John wrote this letter. And so that was cool. And it was just, I'm playing. They did not think that was funny. They're not coming back anymore. So we're going to need to invite some new people because I insulted them. But anyway, um, they had been there on a trip and everything. So, but you've been to Izmir. That's awesome. Um, and and so, so if you've been there, you understand it's a very dark place in the world. Um, it's not welcoming to Christianity necessarily. Um, I'll give you some stats on it. There's 100,000 people at the time when this letter was written. Um, Domitian at the time had become very... Uh, oppressive to the church. He was systematically torturing and killing the church, saying, you'll worship me as Lord God and Savior, not Jesus Christ. And if you don't, I'll kill you. And in fact, I'll kill you in horrible ways in public, so that way people will know you don't want to do that. And that's kind of what he did. So just where it is, just so you kind of, for those of you that are geographic, I'm not, so I'm not good with geography. I'd get lost very easily. But this is the country of Turkey. And, um, and basically, down here, here's Iraq, and here's Iran and Iraq, and down here is Israel. And um, so you can see the church kind of moved over here. And the seven churches, you can see here's Ephesus, and some of the other ones are right there. The reason I'm mentioning that is, is the church had kind of moved to, to the modern-day country of Turkey. Okay? And the reason for that is, is because after Jesus died on the cross and arose from the dead, the, the Rome got very angry, and it was prophesied by Jesus, and they came in and destroyed most of Israel. And they, a lot of the Israelites killed themselves at Masada, and the church kind of moved. And so the center for the church now became right here. And that's why these seven churches are so important, just to give you a little bit of history. Today, the country of uh, Izmir is not any less dark, really. I mean, um, in fact, the, the church of Smyrna is about the only place, the only city left of the modern, of the seven churches that still has a Bible-believing church in it, um, and they do have one there. But let me just give you some stats that I got from Mark Driscoll, so it must be true, okay? And uh, Mark Driscoll was there preaching at the church of, to the church of Smyrna about the church of Smyrna, which I thought was kind of cool, and he gave some stats, and he said, there are 74 million people in the, in the country of Turkey. There is only 3,500 Christians. Does that, does that give you an idea of, of how dark it is? Um, because it's still not popular over there. You can still be tortured and killed in that country for, for believing in God. Um, and and so, so, 70, so 74 million. Let me give you an idea. Uh, Isle of Wight County, I believe, has around 90 to 100,000 people. How many churches do we got? Get the picture? They got two. In, in, they, they got two in the city of Izmir. But over the whole country, they probably have more churches, but 3,500 people that, that, are, that claim to be Christians in, in the whole country. Okay? There, how, many people are in Isle, how many people are in Hampton Roads? That gives you a better idea. There's not 74 million people in Hampton Roads, I can tell you that. But we have a lot of churches, don't we? See how dark it is over there? That's how dark it is over there in that area. Um, in the city of Izmir, there's 4 million people, and there's a couple hundred Christians. That's what they believe. Two churches left. They're the churches of Smyrna. And um, so there's still a light in the darkest area of the world. I just want to give you an idea because here's what, here's what I know about that stat. You may not see it today because not everybody attends it all at one time. We have more professing Christians in New Branch Community Church than they do in the entire city of Izmir. Does that, does that give you some stats? Um, that's, that's who they are. Uh, I, I give you somebody that kind of encapsulates who the church at Smyrna is. Um, and he was one of the early church fathers. His name is Polycarp. I don't know if you guys, if you've studied church history, here's a, here's a statue to him. If you're, if you're Catholic, you might have heard of him. Uh, saint, he actually became a saint, uh, saint, saint Polycarp. Oh. He has kind of an interesting name. But if you, if you study church history, you'll know Polycarp was actually mentored by the Apostle John. And so John passed on to Polycarp all kinds of things, and Polycarp became a bishop. I've always wanted that name. In fact, I, I don't, I'm not a pastor of many churches, but um, bishop is kind of cool. And so I said that one time at a, at a funeral, and they actually introduced me that way um, as, as bishop and all kinds of other names that I came up with for myself. Don't do that to people. Um, but the funeral director was crazy, and so she was happy to tell everybody, I'm Bishop John. I was like, oh, wow, this is horrible. But Polycarp was actually a bishop, and he, and he oversaw many churches. Um, he did many incredible things. He had lots of great quotations. He did a lot of great things for the cause of Christ. But like I say, Domitian was not friendly towards Christians, and, and I could tell you all kinds of things about Polycarp and the great things they did for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the part I want you to see about Polycarp because it really encapsulates what it means to be at the Church of Smyrna. While he was there, Domitian came and said, or he sent a letter and said, hey, I want you to take a pilgrimage to Rome. And while you're here, sit down with me and tell me about this new movement of Christianity. Tell me what that's all about. And so as they get there, Domitian is kind of a bait and switch. He gets them there. You can't imagine a politician lying. But he gets them there, and then he says, he says hey, you know what? 
we didn't bring you here to hear about Christianity because I could care less. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow down and worship me as Lord God and Savior. And if you do, you'll save your life. If you don't, there's a stake out here and we're going to burn you alive right now at 86 years old. And here's what, here's what Polycarp said. He said, for 86 years I have served Christ and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? That's Polycarp. That's what it's like to be part of the church at Smyrna. The, the church at Smyrna was more persecuted than any church that's probably ever been. That's saying a lot. That Jesus was writing to a church in this letter, understanding that this church was being systematically torn apart by the greatest nation on earth at the time, the Roman Empire. And they were pulling their full weight and force to stamp them out. This, this encapsulates who they are. What kind of word would he have to say to them? And what does that have to do with us? And today we're going to talk about that because it's not very popular to talk about. But it's in the word of God, so we have to teach the whole council. But I, as I looked at this letter, I went, there's so much here for us today. So, so let's hear what Jesus has to say to them as I believe he's saying it to us. Revelation 2, verse 8 continues to say this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. So let me explain a little bit about Jesus doing. Jesus is identifying himself. He said, this is who I am. I am the first, meaning I have always been. I am God. I am the last. I will always have been. But here's what happened to me. I died, and I came to life again. I died. I suffered many things. It's very important to understand this is what Jesus suffered because of what he's going to ask them to do. So he says this, verse 9. I know, okay, I want you to underline this. I got a couple things I want you to underline and circle because you're going to need to come back to this, okay? I know your afflictions. You ever been going through a hard time and, and didn't think somebody knew where you were at or what you're going through? Let me ask you different. You ever looked at God and said, God, I can't believe this is where you have me. Do you know what's going on down here? <laughs> Jesus is saying this, I know. Can you underline I know? And then I want you to circle the word afflictions. That same word means tribulation. I know your afflictions, and I know your what? Your poverty. Circle that word. Yet you are rich. I know about the slander circle that of those who say they are jews and are not but are in the synagogue of satan means anybody ever met some church people like that (laughs) that's what they had they claim to be followers of christ they claim to be jews they are not they're actually following satan and that's that's they, they were getting slandered that's a tough one verse 10 do not be afraid you want to underline that do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer circle it circle the word suffer I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. Circle the word death. Nobody wants to circle that, but circle that. And I will give you the life as your victor's crown. I will give you life as your victor's crown. Verse 11, whoever has ears, underline that. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Okay, so I want to kind of unpack it, and I think Jesus is saying this today. If you got ears, listen. If you're here today and you're going, hey, you know, the church at Smyrna, just so you kind of get the idea, they were a church that had suffered. And Jesus, in all these letters, so we started last week, and basically what he was doing was this little excerpt, Jesus gets right to the point, which is absolutely awesome. And he, so when he writes, and I wish some of you guys would take some notes from Jesus to go, hey, when you send emails, just short, just bullets, you get the idea. And so Jesus did that, and it's absolutely awesome. And so he says, hey, I'll get right to the point. And in all the churches, he says, hey, you guys, you did this well, and you didn't do this very well, except for the church at Smyrna. You know what he did for them? He had no words of criticism for them. He only had words of encouragement. You know what tells me? I don't think that the church of Smyrna was perfect. That's not why I think he did that. You know why he did that? Because he said, you know what people that are suffering don't need? The church needs to hear this, really. They don't need criticism, right? When you're suffering, how many people need somebody to be judgmental at that time? You don't, right? How many people need somebody to be critical? No, you need encouragement because you're going, I don't know how to get through this, and you're not really in the best frame of mind. And Jesus is saying, I know you guys are suffering. You don't think I know, but I do know, and I want to give you some perspective to help you in this moment. And if I do, this is really going to help you understand some things. Some of you guys here today are suffering. Some of you guys are going, I haven't suffered at all. I don't know what you're talking about. Life is wonderful. Life is grand. Everything is wonderful and bubbles and all this kind of stuff, okay? 
Um, if that's you, that's fine, okay? If that's you, you haven't experienced anything bad, that's awesome. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to take some notes today because you're going to need this. For those of you that are suffering, would you say amen to that? Did you need to keep this? Because life, there will be suffering, right? There will be problems in this world. And I want to point out a couple of things to you. What Jesus is saying in this letter is this, is that hard times will happen. And he starts the letter off by saying, I am the first and I am the last. But by the way, I suffered. Maybe you forgot about that. Maybe you forgot, I've suffered every way like as to you. Remember it says that in the book of Hebrews, that I am as though I am your high priest because I have suffered every affliction you have, so there's nothing you haven't felt. On the cross, I paid for everything, so I felt all the pain of all the sin of all of time. I know your pain, trust me, is what Jesus is saying. And he's saying to the church at Smyrna, wait a minute, let me say it different. He's saying to the church at New Branch Community Church, he's saying this, he's saying, if you want to be my follower... If you want to be my follower, you can write this down if you want to. If you want to follow Jesus, then you can expect, here's what you can expect. You can expect to endure what I've endured. When we start talking like that, let me tell you, that's not, (laughs) people are like, I don't know that I like that, right? We like the part where it says, hey, you know, I want to celebrate and, and, you know, know, I want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But when we start talking about but share in the fellowship of his suffering, we're kind of like, yeah, no, I don't think so. I don't think I want that. That doesn't sound too good, right? Let me tell you the things that he's talking about. And he's talking to the church at Smyrna. He's saying, hey, here's what you know. I know where you're at, and let me tell you what it is. You're going to have affliction or tribulation. So what what can you expect? Let me tell you. As a follower of Jesus, now let me explain. Salvation is free. You want to be saved? It's free. Jesus paid all of it. And you want to be saved, all you got to do is ask Jesus in your heart. It's free. He'll come in your life. He'll change you. Get it? But if you want to follow Jesus and be his disciple, let me tell you something. It's going to cost you. And here's what it's going to cost you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is the fine print. This is what most churches don't want to talk about, including me. The fine print of following Jesus is this. If you want to be his follower, you will endure what he endured. And here's the first one. You will endure tribulation or affliction. That doesn't sound too good, does it? If you don't believe that, then you read the words of Jesus, and he says it all throughout Scripture. John even said it back even before he wrote the book of Revelation. He wrote it in the gospel. He said what? In this world, you will have trouble. You know what the word is? Tribulation. You know what the word is? Affliction. In this world, you will have trouble. Don't skip too quick to the next part because if you're not ready for it, you'll think, it's not normal for me to do that. I shouldn't expect to have problems because I'm following Jesus and now my life should get better. And it does get better, but that doesn't mean that it's pain-free, problem-free. And if you thought that it is, then you'll be completely disillusioned and you'll completely misunderstand what Christianity is all about. And some of you guys are there. That's why I'm telling you. Because if you're suffering today, this message is for you because you're sitting there going, I don't know. And God is going, I know exactly where you are. You know what you are? You're right where I want you. Tribulation. Oh, good night. How do you put context on that? We'll come back to it, okay? Number two, there will be poverty. It, Jesus is saying, he said to them, he said, I know exactly where you are. You know what you're facing? You're facing, <laughs> you're facing affliction. You're facing tribulation. You know what you're facing? You're facing poverty. Now, that's not a very good word today in the church world. In fact, you know, some people might call me a heretic. Of course, I would probably turn around and call the same people heretics. Because here's what I'm seeing. You know, this kind of goes against, hey, I can name it and claim it. I can gab it and grab it. (laughs) You get the idea? That that God's plan for me is to be wealthy. Could be, right? We did a whole series on Dave Ramsey. So so what I want to say here before we get into what poverty means here is what it doesn't mean, okay? It doesn't mean that I practice really bad principles and I run up my credit card debt and and I live by really bad principles. And then I say, but I'm suffering for Jesus. That's not true, okay? We're not, right? I mean, a lot of us aren't suffering for Jesus. We're just suffering because we did something stupid. And we go, that's not for his glory. That's for our stupidity, okay? And a lot of us have those scars. If you're here today and that's you, we're not picking on you. We've been there. We've done that. There's a reason why we went through Dave Ramsey because we're all messed up, okay, in our, with our finances. And Jesus can change our lives. And if you follow godly principles, it will bless your life. I believe that with all my heart, okay? He'll bless your finances. I believe that. But there is a time where God is saying, to be my follower, it may cost you poverty. It may cost you your pocketbook. What it means is, is when you choose to follow me in the way that I'm asking you to go, guess what's going to happen? You may be fired from your job for doing the right thing. The government may exile you. The government may be mad at you. The government may say, you know what, I'm gonna, it's going to cost you money. You can't say that. That's hate speech to even dream of saying anything like Christ said. And so therefore, you're going to suffer 
And you know what you're going to suffer? Poverty. And some people aren't claiming, and people say, that's not true. God wants you to have all this wealth. No, that's not true in this life. You know how I know? Read the letter. I'm not saying this is Jesus. That's why I asked you to circle the words so you didn't think John came up with this list. I didn't. This is not my list. I don't like this list, by the way, but this is his list. Number one, tribulation. Number two, poverty. Number three, this is the one I struggle with the most. If you follow Jesus, you will endure slander. You will be slandered. Everybody get the idea what that means? People will talk bad about you. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you. That doesn't go away very good, right? I mean, everybody's going to love us when we start talking the words of Jesus. Now, again, don't, t- don't get it wrong. Some people, it's the way they're presenting the gospel. It's not the gospel itself. It's that they're an offensive, not the gospel. And so, therefore, they're taking it and saying, I'm suffering for Jesus because I'm yelling at people with a bullhorn and they're, and they're rejecting me. But they're not rejecting the gospel. They're rejecting you because of the presentation of the gospel, okay? So, so we need to make sure we're following the words of Jesus that says, hey, you go out in the highways and the byways and you compel people to come in. Remember where he says that? And that means this is a big invite, and you make it as easy as you can to get the people in the highways and the byways to come know him. That's what it means. Church ought to be all about that. But there are times that when you follow Jesus, people are going to misrepresent you. They're going to say bad things about you. You know what Jesus said about that? And I believe it's Matthew chapter 10. He said, brother will hate brother. That will stir up dissension in your homes. People will hate you because of me. This is what happens. I know, I felt it myself. And i got to tell you, when somebody says something bad about me, it is the hardest thing for me not to fight back. Anybody feel that? I'm good until you say something critical, right? Then it's like, I can suffer tribulation, I can suffer poverty, I could maybe even suffer death, but i got to tell you something. You say something slanderous, I'm about ready to, right? Isn't that how you feel? That's how I feel anyway, and maybe I'm the only one. All right, so you will endure slander if you follow Jesus. Number four. There will be suffering, just plain and simple. All kinds of sufferings that you'll have for the cause of Jesus Christ, all the way up to, number five, including death. Including death. That, that salvation, that following Jesus Christ could cost you your life. And by the way, he's talking to the church at Smyrna. They understand. I just told you about Polycarp. Can I tell you, he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one killed for his faith in Smyrna. And now I'm not just talking about dying in your sleep. I'm talking about horrible, awful ways. It's a, a terrible retirement package for you, okay, it, it, as, as the world considers retirement. Now, I've painted a picture of Christianity, of what it means to be not just a Christian, but what it means to be a true follower of Christ. These are the things you will endure. You know how I can tell you we know this will happen? Because Jesus said it. He wrote it in the letter. Jesus, these are not the words we want you to say. Okay. And then he says it after he says, these are the things that you're going to suffer. In fact, he, he's looking at a church that's already suffering it. And he's saying, these are the things you suffer, and I know about that. <laughs> well, thanks. Why don't you do something about it, right? And then he looks at them, and he says this. He doesn't say, I'll get you out of it. You know what he says? He says this. How does that make you feel today? Do not be afraid. You want to know what the answer is here today? Is Jesus' answer, in fact, that one of the most quoted things that God sends a message throughout all time is this very message right here. And it says, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. What do you mean don't be afraid? Now, let me tell you about being afraid. Okay? When you're young, you're not afraid. Is that right? I had somebody this morning talk to me about they're thinking about getting married and they're young, you know, and they're excited. And I know how that feels. And they're like, hey, it's kind of like you, you know. <laughs> yeah. But after you've been married a while, it's scary, right? I mean, and I'm not talking about just the marriage. I love my wife with all my heart, but I'm saying there's things that happen in life and you start to look at younger people and you're like, oh, man, you need to have this and you need to have that and you need to do this and you need to do that. And it's kind of like they just don't see. They don't, you know what? Young isn't bad. It's just dumb, right? I mean, because you're going, you just don't have the experience, right? You just haven't done it. And we know that just even besides marriage, we know it with little kids, right? Little kids, they would play. If we were to tell them today, hey, there's a big train out here, go play on the train tracks. You know what? They would go out there and play on those train tracks, not think twice about it, right? And for us, you know, I, you know as a pastor and as, as people have seen traumas and all this kind of stuff, you're going, you think about them train tracks and you're like, your heart just crushes every time you think of a kid even coming close to those tracks. You know why? Because I've seen what a train can do to somebody. You get it? 
I've seen what, it, what devastation it can cause and, and been there at funerals where trains have taken lives and you're going, I don't want you anywhere close to that. But you know what? They're not afraid. You know why they're not afraid? Because they're dumb. <laughs> you get it? They don't know any better. They play out here on 460 if you let them, right? I mean, you know, and you're like, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And as they become young adults, you're like, what are you, you know, what? You didn't even talk to the recruiter. You could have bartered a better deal. You're not going to be an aviator. You know what I mean? You're going to be a grunt in the, on a boat. What are you doing? Don't just go sign up for the military, right? I mean, you get the picture. Young's not bad. It's just dumb, right? And it's not just young. It's just unexperienced. When you haven't experienced something, you're not afraid. And some of us have never experienced what the church at Smyrna has experienced, but some of us have started to, and you go, it's easy for Jesus to say, do not fear to somebody young and dumb. You get it? But it's hard to look at the church of Smyrna where they have watched people die in horrible ways and say, do not be afraid. Let me tell you something. Everything on that list, you, you want me to show the list again? Right? Persecution, right? Affliction, tribulation to the point of death, not just yours, but your family's too, and terrible things. I got to tell you, there's nothing I feel but fear. So how in the world can you say that to me? Right? So I want to explain what he means by do not fear, because I think this could transform your life. If we really grasped what he meant here, it may just revolutionize our lives. But the problem is that some of us don't get it, and so we're looking at it, and we're disillusioned, and we're upset. So there's, i got to dispel a couple myths first, and then I want to tell you what he meant that could just change your life. That's really what we want to talk about today. God has a word for you, and it's do not fear, but, but, it's, but it's why you're not fearing that's so important. Okay, so here's what it doesn't mean. Okay. Jesus' message was not this. It was not, do not be afraid because I won't let bad things happen to you. It's not. Now, I don't know if you've heard that. I don't know if you've been taught that. I don't know if somebody told you that, you know, they've used the verse out of context that says, if you ask anything in my name, then I'll do it. And that means you will never suffer as a Christian. Can I tell you something? That's a lie. I tell you something that goes directly against what he's saying here because he just made a list and I had you circle all the words that Jesus said. Tribulation, affliction, poverty, death. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound like a very good list. It doesn't sound to me like bad things won't happen. If you think that it's only here that Jesus says that, then, then it's not, okay? Jesus in Matthew, this is not some obscure text that I brought out and said, hey, let me, let me dispel this myth. I got to dispel the myth because you're living in a delusion, And when that delusion is taken care of, you're going to go, wait a minute, you know what the problem is? Maybe I just don't have enough faith. Some people don't have faith, I get it. But the problem is, is we think Jesus will do whatever we ask if we say it in a certain formula. That's not true. He's not our genie. He has a plan for our suffering. And and he's got something far better than we can imagine. And I'll tell you what it is. Far better than getting us out of the problem. And I'll tell you what it is. Before I do, we just have to kind of dispel that myth. Matthew chapter 10 is a great passage for you to read on your own if you want. He's looking at his disciples, and they're looking at him, and he's telling them about going to the cross, and they're like, whoa, what are you talking about? This is, we're popular right now. You're doing miracles right now. What are you talking about going to the cross? Stop saying that. You're going to bring people down. And he calls everybody in, and he says, let me tell you where this is going. Brother will hate brother. Let me tell you what's going to happen if you follow me. You want to follow Jesus? Here's what's going to happen. You will be put in prison. And you will be publicly flogged. And some of you will be put to death. He's, you know, and by the way, he's not talking in theory. You know what he's talking about? He's talking, he's looking, and he's peering into their future. And he's saying, these are the things that are going to happen. And then he tells them the next part that we really don't get. He says, but I'll be with you. Okay, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of like, okay, thanks for that. Thank you, Jesus. I don't want you to be with me. I want you to get me out. Okay. I want the get out of jail free card. I don't want you to be with me. I want you to get me out of this circumstance. Why don't you do a magic trick, Jesus? Because I didn't come just to make your life easy. I didn't come just to make your life better. But I've got something better than getting you out. And I want to share that with you today or else you might be disillusioned. I'll tell you where else this goes, though. If, if you know, where he says, do not be afraid, if, if in fact that it's not that I can be delusional and believe that nothing bad will ever happen to me. Can I tell you something? The death rate's one per person, so if anybody believes bad things won't happen, I don't know where you're coming from. You get it? I mean, it just doesn't work. It doesn't add up. That's not what Jesus is talking about. But let me tell you, let me tell you what next happens is, you know where I'm at and you left me here, I get mad. Anybody do that? 
A mad Christian. We see it all the time. Let me tell you where it really, really boils its head is when we go, hey, you know, I can deal with poverty, I can deal with tribulation, I can deal with suffering, and then somebody slanders you. What do we do? Can I tell you there's a lot of angry Christians out there, isn't there? Including me. You say something bad about me, and I'm going to come at you, and I'm going to put a rant on Facebook that's this long. You get it? think I'm joking. You know what that tells me? When I see rants, you know what that tells me? When I rant myself, when I get up on my soapbox, you know what it tells me? Where is that coming from? You ever thought about that? It's fear. But I need them to know that, that we need to stand up for truth. Can I tell you, we need to stand up for truth. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. We need to be politically active. I agree. But how you do what you do is just as important. And when it comes from the spirit of hate, let me tell you where that comes from for men. The spirit of anger. You know where that anger is coming from? Fear. Fear that I'm not going to get what I deserve. Fear that they're going to take away my rights. They're going to take away what I'm able to do. And, and, and is that what you think God wants? He just wants us to sit down and lay down and not say anything? I've heard I've had people ask me this. Well, Jesus said, lay down your life for your friends. Am I taking that out of context? And Jesus said this, when he, was, when he was tried and misrepresented and put to death for some stuff that he never did. Get it? You know what it says? It said, like a lamb to the slaughter. You can read the verse for yourself. Like a lamb to the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. Can I tell you what Jesus is saying? It's not that we don't need to stand up. It's not that Christians don't need to fight. But be careful how you're fighting. Because if it's a rant, you know what it's telling me? It's all fear. And it's not producing what we think. The church isn't growing as a result. People aren't flocking to the throne of God as a result. You know why? Because we don't have a message. We have, I want to keep my rights, and I want to keep. And the reason why I want to do that is, is I want to make sure I don't suffer. I want to make sure my kids don't suffer. But let me tell you something. Where it goes in the kingdom of God, it's tribulation, it's poverty, it's suffering, it's death. Man, that's not very popular. So if it's not those things, then what in the world hope do you have then, John? You didn't give as much to go on. Anybody want to sign up for that today? Write it on your connection card. I want to sign up for this. No, I don't. Unless you understand this next part. When you understand this next part, it will help you with not having to be delusional that nothing bad will ever happen. And I just keep saying these fairy tales and these phrases and they don't work. And then I wonder what's going on. Or I get very angry and I don't know what to do with that and so I'm kind of separating myself because I really don't understand God and I get a piece of the truth and I put it out there and I'm trying to do the best I can but I don't know what to do. Then what is the answer? If it's not that bad things won't happen or God won't let bad things happen, then what is the answer? And the answer is this. Jesus' message was this. Do not be afraid, not because bad things won't happen, but because I am with you. Now, I've said this before, (laughs) and I watch people, and people have come to me afterwards, and I realize I don't think I did a very good job describing it. So with the time I have left, I just want to describe it. Now, I might, this is not really teaching, this is more preaching, so I might be a little preachy here. (laughs) That's okay. We'll be okay, it's church. I am with you. Now, why is that so great? You see, because some people, you're thinking the same thing I am. If I'm in prison, I don't want you to be with me. I want you to get me out. See? If I'm sinking in a boat like his apostles were, and he's looking at them, and he's looking at them, and he's saying, why are you so afraid, you of little faith? Well, let me explain why I'm afraid, Jesus, because the boat's sinking, and I'm going to die. And then he goes, I know. Let me ask you a question. If, If you sink, why are you afraid? Really? Why am I afraid? Because I'm going to die. Yeah, why are you afraid? You see, they didn't understand. It's not whether the boat sinks or, or stays up. It's not, that's not the point. The point is, who's in the boat? Jesus. I'm here. Why are you afraid? Because you don't understand what it means for God to be with you. That's why. You don't understand. You think that circumstances are going to dictate your life, and Jesus is saying, no, no, it's far beyond any circumstance. Oh, I can do miracles. He does miracles. I don't discount miracles. I believe with all my heart he's the same God that he was in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and today nothing has changed. He's the same God. He can do all those things. But if you think it's just about Jesus doing magic tricks, then you will be disillusioned when suffering comes. And Jesus has an incredible purpose. But what he's saying is, you don't have to be afraid when anything comes. Because why? Because I'm with you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. You can write it down if you want to. He, he, after he goes through this tirade of, this is what it means to follow me, and you're going to go to prison, and you're going to do this, he says, hey, you know, I see you're having problems with this. 
I see, I see you don't quite understand why. Let me take some of the edge off. And in another place, he says, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And they're like, are you crazy? We're going to die if we don't worry. Get it? And he says, you can't do anything about those things. But let me explain. If you try to hold on to this life, you're going to lose it. If, 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 if you give your life for me on purpose with a purpose, you're going to gain it. It's like, man, that's the biggest oxymoron. I don't understand what you're talking about there, Jesus, until you understand what he's saying. He's saying, let me take the edge off. I see all of you are trying to hold on to this life, and you're worried about suffering. Can I tell you, unsaved people suffer as much as saved people. Christians suffer as much as unsaved people. The death rate's one per person, and it's undiscriminating. We're all going to die, okay? And so you're trying to hold on to something that will never last, okay? Now that I take the edge off, that's why you're going to gain this life. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, when he gets to the end of all that, he says this. He says, you know what? You'd be better off not being afraid of the one who can destroy your body. You'd be better off being afraid of the one who can kill the body and the soul. Isn't that what he just said here? You know why you don't have to be afraid? Because you will not experience the second death. You know why you don't have to be afraid? Because, yes, bad things will happen in this world, but I will be with you, and you will be, have victory. You know where it says the victorious one? And we know that means them, but it means that you are found in the victorious one. That's what it means. He is the victorious one, and when you find yourself cloaked in him, you will have victory that extends into eternal life. Now, let me explain what it means for God to be with you. Okay? Because if you don't get this, you won't understand suffering. If you don't get this, you'll think that circumstances are more important than what I'm talking about here. But when you grasp what this means, it will give you a whole brand new life of joy and peace and comfort in any circumstance. You ready? Here's what it means. God with us. In the the Garden of Eden... When God created mankind, it says you know, in Genesis that God created man and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of, of life. He breathed into his nostrils and he became a living soul. And God had fellowship with man. That's why he created him, that he wanted to be with him. In fact, it goes on to say this in Genesis. It says that God would walk in the cool of the day in the garden. Now, God doesn't have body like we do. He's spirit. So where is God is a category mistake. It's like, what does blue taste like? It has to do with relation. You get it? So relationally, God would come into the garden and he would, as if he was walking with them. And it says that God himself was with them. Now, when man sinned, it broke the relationship with God. You get it? Now, God's not with him. God's spirit doesn't strive with him anymore. That's what it says. And now he's separated from God. You get it? And, and, the, and the culmination of that is hell. That's the part we're scared of because that's separation from God for all of eternity. All of the joy of God is separated from you because of your sin that keeps you from him. And God says, I don't want man to be without me, so I will send my one and only son to die on the cross for their sins. And if they accept me as Savior, guess what happens? I will restore that relationship. I will be with them. Get it? All right, you get the picture. Now, let me fast forward. So, so with him here, separated here, Jesus comes, allows us to be with him again, and we get all the way to the end of the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 21, my favorite book, my favorite chapter in the Bible probably, because it tells you about the end. It says, hey, you know, this world is a horrible, awful place, but in the end, I see that for the saints of God, that God will, will, will do away with this old earth and the terrible things that are happening, and he'll create a new earth and a new heaven wherein dwells righteousness, and I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Maybe you never read this verse. Maybe you only heard it at funerals and thought it was just fairy tale land. But, but he's saying, this is what will occur, and the holy city will come down, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. Behold, I make all things new. Him that sits on the throne. It means power. It's the power seat. And then it says something else. It says, and then God himself, you know what it says? But God himself will be with them. And be their God. Paradise lost becomes paradise restored with the resurrected Christ in our midst. That's what it means to be with us. You get the picture? For all of time, we could have been separated from God, but now we're not separated from God. We're with him for all of eternity. Now, I want to pause there because i got a feeling some of you guys are going, well, that's nice because that's way out into the future. I get it. I feel the same. You know, it's like, that's awesome. We can look forward to that day. That will be a good day. That will be the day when I don't worry anymore. 
But let me tell you what happens before then. When Jesus dies on the cross and he rose from the dead and he comes back for 40 days to talk to his apostles, and John, the one that wrote this letter, was there. And he looks at his apostles, and at the very end, as he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven, and they're scared to death, you know, because they've got Jesus with them. And they're thinking, this has been an emotional roller coaster for the last 40 days. You died on the cross, which we did not understand, okay? Then three days later, you rose from the dead, and we go, okay, that's awesome. I didn't know this was a plan, but that's a good plan. Now you're back with us again, Master. And then he goes, now I'm going to ascend back into heaven. What? What? And I'm going to leave my comforter because here's the thing. In another place he said, hey, wherever, you know, I'm going away to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. I'm not taking you now. You want to know why? Because there's people that need to know about Christ. And you're going to be here on this horrible place so that you can bring people like you with you to come to this place. That's the point. And he looks at them and he says this. This is Matthew chapter 28. He says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've commanded you. And And what? Teaching them everything I have commanded you. And at the very end, he says this, and lo, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Now, understand, here, separate... I'm here, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And at the end of the age is Revelation 21 where he says God himself will be with them. Means you will never, ever, ever be without Christ. You'll never be without Jesus again. You'll never be separated from the love of God again. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter what people have done to you. It doesn't matter if there's tribulation. It doesn't matter if there's great pain. It doesn't matter if there's suffering. It's better than changing any circumstances because he's saying, I'm above them all. You see, let me ask it differently. What would you want in replacement of Jesus in your life? Money? It goes away. Get it? Don't, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and dust corrupt, right? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where it will last forever. You get it? So why are you worried about these temporal things? You see, I see, you're trying to hold on to it. You're worried you're going to suffer. I can take the edge off. You are going to suffer. The question is, will it be done on purpose, with a purpose, and with God it will. He will never waste the hurt. So if you're in suffering today, God's got a message for you. See? If you're in suffering one day and you're going, hey, I've got a good life. It's not that we want to go out and try to suffer for no reason. I don't want to suffer. Anybody want to suffer? No. But if it comes, then I go, you know what? I've got something better than what's in this life, and that's Jesus. Because here's the thing. Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that what he said? That's a promise to the church. He left an angel in Smyrna to say, your battles you fight are not against this world. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers of dark places that will take you to places you never want to go without hope and suck all the life out of you. You will be trapped behind the gates of hell. You know what that is? Hopelessness. And when you live there, you understand what it's like to be separated from God, don't you? You don't have to wait for eternity. It's in this life, right? And you go, but when God is with you, Get it? And if God is with you, then what else matters? Right? Who can be against you? You get the purpose? Now I want you to hold on to that. If you're suffering today, endure and be faithful and understand that the greater promise isn't that bad things won't happen, but that Jesus Christ himself will be with you. And he will kick in the gates of hell. You get it? And bring you out into joy where you go, you know what? It doesn't matter. Because here's the thing I know. It doesn't matter about money. Give me Jesus. Get it? It it doesn't matter about slander. Oh, that's a hard one for me. You going to let that go? Yeah. You know why I can let it go? You know why I don't have to be afraid anymore? You know why you can let go of slander and all the critical words and all the things misrepresented and the way people come against you and all these things is because I can turn to Jesus. But let me tell you what doesn't work. You can't have this. And Jesus too. Can't. You can't hold on to this stuff and have Jesus too. You let it go to him. Last verse and we're done. Comes from 1 John. (laughs) Kind of like that because John wrote that. John wrote this in the same vein of thought. He said this. He goes, I see that some of you guys are suffering. But suffering has to do with fear. you're, You're afraid. And he says this. He goes, 
in 1 John 4, 18, maybe you need to write it down. He said, there is no fear in love. That when you truly understand the love of God, when the love of God truly comes in you, you're no longer afraid. Because why? Because perfect love drives out all fear. You see why he says, do not be afraid? Because you can't have fear in God too. Now, there's some scary things in this world. It doesn't mean that when we see it, we're not afraid. It doesn't mean suddenly you don't have any more phobias. It doesn't mean that when scary things happen, you're not scared. It means this, that your focus all of a sudden changes to Jesus. That's why being with him is more important than circumstances, because if it's just circumstance-based, guess what? Your emotions and your fear goes up and down. If it's good times, I'm not afraid. If it's bad times, I'm so scared. But what Jesus is doing is this. He's going, hey, you know what? How about any time? How about take everything away, take the whole world away, but give me Jesus? Right? And if that's the case, then you got beyond this life. You don't have to worry about the second death. You don't have to worry about the second death in this life. You don't have to live behind the gates of hell anymore. You don't have to be afraid anymore. I pray God will make us that kind of church. Let's stand for prayer. Father, if there was ever a person that probably shouldn't be delivering this message, it's probably me. <laughs> and being I'm talking to you, Lord, then I know that it's not no probably, it is me, because, Lord, I've had such a hard time letting go of so many things because I'm so afraid. I'm not going to get what I deserve. I'm not, they're not going to get what they deserve. If I let this go, then they're going to get, and I've got a feeling there's a whole bunch more people like that with me. So I pray for the one today that's suffering. I pray you put that suffering in context so that, God, it's not wasted, that they might be able to suffer on purpose, with a purpose, that they might bring so much good in this world while there's still time. And that, God, all of us do not have to be afraid because you promised to be with us. And I pray that washes over us. (laughs) I pray that in this dark world, Lord, of Isla White County, in this place of Windsor, Virginia, to the church... In Windsor, I pray, God, I pray we can be victorious and we will receive the crown of life, but not just us, but maybe those that we take with us when we go. (laughs) Wouldn't that be something? Father, I pray you receive all the honor and the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you need prayer today, especially we're talking about suffering today, if you need prayer, come see us. For everybody else, God bless you. Have a great week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.